All right, welcome back to me. <laughs> I'm back, okay. guys. You guys were here last week, but I was not. Yep. So thanks for uh, thanks for putting in the hard yards and uh, running the show without me. Good to have you here, man. Yeah, I'm glad. We're to be so back. glad you're back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling I'm feeling a lot better. Had a little bit of yeah. illness going on. Yeah. What kind of, should we talk about it? It wasn't COVID. I mean, it's let's fine. just say that. No, it wasn't COVID. I you had the shingles. Did, I, I had the shingles, and that was super painful. Ooh, it sounded like you said shiggles. Shiggles. <laughs> I had the shiggles. The shiggles. shiggles. <laughs> I was talking with my brother about how shingle sounds like one of those, like, you know, 1800s type of sicknesses, like consumption and dysentery. You know, like, oh, I came down with the shingles, you know. So. Jed yeah. got the shingles was, uh, back in 23. Right. I was drinking some poop water, and I got the shingles. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Time to dig a new latrine. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, I got shingles, which is the Pokemon evolved version of chicken pox. <laughs> and like, that's the best way I can describe it. And uh, it was super painful, guys. I'm not going to lie. Do you get the I same like, like little pocky pustules that you get in chicken pox that you can't scratch? Um, or is not it as much. It's a little bit different. Like It's more like a big rash that's on one side of the body. And then it like frays all the nerve endings where that rash was. So um, like the, the recovery is super painful because all your nerves are learning how to feel all over again. And so oh, like your damn. shirt just existing next to your skin, like feels like sandpaper so you know i'm not gonna get into too many more gory details that i've already like you know well people need to know this is a public health service podcast where we want people to maintain (laughs) their health and i was gonna visit you and then i realized i didn't want to catch shingles so i didn't so you can't catch shingles believe it or not you can't catch it it's just your body Mm -hmm. decides to freak out because you had chicken pox when you were 12 that's exactly it Yep, you uh, you either had a low immune kind of system going on, or and too much stress, like kind of a combo of the two, and so yeah. it just re reignites the dormant virus that is in your body from when you had chickenpox, which is why I said it's the Pokemon evolved version. Whoa! So, yeah, once so you've caught away. it, like uh, once you've caught it like a Pokemon, then you can evolve it over time. <laughs> It's a big old Charizard coming out of your That's side. Right. So exactly. Well, we yeah, want you to get yeah. proper rest and manage your stress, That's, Justin. That's right. We want you to exactly. feel good. About, we want Justin to feel good about Justin. So, so Jay and I aren't left alone again. That's all right. Well, you had some uh, good companions talking about the Aliens RPG last week. I heard. I heard Lincoln was on for a little bit, but had to drop off due to connection issues. But uh, he was John eaten was by there a xenomorph. Too. Quite, quite frankly, he <laughs> yeah. was gobbled. Oh, together. that makes sense. He was, Game over, man. Game over. Yeah. 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 And then John was there to kind of help us out too, which uh, he was a player in Jason's campaign. So uh, a lot of fun. I played that Aliens RPG and thought it was a ton of fun. I thought that the scenario that was in the starter pack was really, really good. Jason did a really good job running it, and uh, we all had a great time. Yeah. Now, that's not the starter pack scenario. That was an actual. Oh, it wasn't. um... Yep, Destroyer of Worlds is a separate oh. Uh, cinematic. Yep. Oh, for some reason. But it's I one of the box sets. It's one of the cinematic box sets you can buy. So it's a complete kind of thing. 
so I I have to apologize to Jason a little bit. I was probably like the worst player, like for all of his sessions that he ran. The first time, I don't know what happened. The first time that we played, like I was hit with a sleeping spell or something like that. And I had the hardest time staying awake during our session. Like I could not stay awake. And then this last time I had shingles. And so like, I was just like in absolute pain, but I had a good time. I hope hopefully everybody else did too. So that's a good, that's a yeah. solid sell. I was so falling okay. asleep. I was so tired. It was awesome. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I, I will fine. say though, I, I will say though, Jason, that even though I was struggling to stay awake the first time, just and again, I I had a really long day that day. It was a really long week, but I was struggling to stay awake. I still played my character in a way that pretty much everybody remembered. Oh the yeah, hammer. Everybody remembered know. the hammer. Yeah, so you know, I still left my mark on it, which was good. Did you wear hammer yeah. pants and say it was hammer time? <laughs> well, I didn't know I was going to be hammer until I got there. So <laughs> yeah. Super fun scenario. Loved it. Loved it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was good. It was a great scenario. We talked about. It. Check out our last episode if you're interested. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Episode 102. Yeah, uh, we didn't really no. talk about the actual uh, um, cinematic so much as we talked about the system. But uh, it was it was good. It was good fun play. No, oh, nice. Yeah, very good. Very good. Okay, well, uh, this week we are going to talk about how to run a military campaign right a military style rpg campaign um i think that this fits in a lot of different things like uh you could do a military style star wars campaign you can do a military style DD campaign if you want to but uh there's other systems like um zweiham that we talked to that would fit well with this warhammer fantasy role play would fit well uh even shadow of the demon lord right some like anything you, you can really kind of shoehorn this into anything um, but we're going to talk about what makes a military campaign and and how to successfully pull it off. So before we get into that, though, uh, Dan, how was your Geek Week, sir? Oh, my gosh. It was so geeky. All right. I've made some real improvements. to. I've upped my Legion miniaturing game. I've upped it my game. I finished my uh, L-A-A-T-L-E patrol transport Ooh. And I've named it Grease Lightning. Um, I just have to do a little bit of touch-up paint. For those uh, listening, uh, for I think Star Wars Rebels, they came out with an attack ship for the for the the period right before the Empire took over. So the clones were using it for half a minute, and then the Empire used it anyway. It's a lighter version of those kind of troop drop Vietnam era Huey kind of things that happen in. Uh, Star Wars uh, in, in, that were introduced in uh, episode two and three of uh, the films. Anyway, it's a lighter weight version. Uh, I learned a little bit about modeling. Let me talk about my modeling education real quick. So this is, I haven't built a model vehicle. I don't know. I think I attempted, sadly enough, an AT-AT Walker when I was eight years old and my dad basically <laughs> finished it for me. And then I never went back to modeling a vehicle at all. So this is the first vehicle I've modeled. So I've been modeling dudes, but not vehicles. This one has two dudes inside of it. it. They're impossible to see. One thing I learned is don't waste a lot of time on the dudes who are impossible to see. You have to look at it straight in there. I really wanted to put a light kit in there, Justin. I wanted to put an LED light kit in here so bad, but I, I, I didn't do it. 
I wanted to. This There's a little yellow button right here. It's going to put a little spotlight in there. I was like, I'll never finish this model if I try to do a light kit. <laughs> I'll make a mess. If I build a second one, I'm definitely doing a light kit. So number one, if there's crap that people will never see, uh, do a version of it if they're looking in the window that they can really see. Worry, worry about contrast colors because it's going to be dark unless you pre-lit it. So you need like white buttons and not a subtle kind of amber Star Wars button that no one's going to see. Um, and don't worry about the shoulders and the backs and what color the chairs are because uh, it don't matter. The other thing is, as you can tell from the people who are watching on TV, it's very shiny. Uh, this is my Home Depot side of me. I was in Home Depot and I saw not, they had mirror paint, but one step below mirror was a really shiny chrome. And I was like, oh, what if I do a really shiny chrome and then take um, a metallic army paint and go over it and have it like be a bright red kind of predatory looking thing. Uh, and what I learned is you got to take a test piece. And I, I did my my primer, I hit it with the rattle can shiny spray paint. I did a little test piece and I did the red treatment I thought I was going to do. And guess what? That paint did not want to adhere to this glossiness that's on oh, this uh, yep, shiny thing. Yep. So I use that to my advantage, right? It's a make it work moment, right? So uh, if there's a convex surface, the paint will move. You paint your paint, you, you put the paint on your brush and you swipe it down on a conf convex surface. If things are too shiny, let's say you primed it with a gloss, a semi-gloss, or even sometimes a, uh, a, a satin will do this. You'll paint with your paintbrush and the paint will go running away from where you just painted. And that's super annoying. That works on convex surfaces. On concave surfaces, it actually holds the paint. It holds the pigment in a little cup. The surface tension does a pretty good mm -hmm. job. So I have all these little treatments that are little red little blockies in here. The teeny tiny ones, I just used it to my advantage. And then these panels, they've for those listening on the MP3, they have kind of like TIE fighter-y panels on them. And those have these tiny little pyramids on there. And those did a good job of using the surface tension and the viscosity to trap the red metallic paint that I painted the panels. So it's turned out pretty cool. I have to do some touch-ups. Uh, but it's pretty much ready to play, but I need to I need to base it right now. It's just plastic. It's just a plastic how does, base. With how does it work mechanically in the game? Well, uh, you have um, a large base with four notches, north, south, east, and west. And it has a movement. Uh, it can transport an entire unit of troops inside. They don't get to hang out the side and shoot. Um, that's That would be an open, this is technically a closed transport. So even though the the sides of it are open for game purposes, it's treated as closed. So there, so they it basically flies in and it it hovers at a at a distance where you can't attack it with a melee weapon or a weapon at range one or a weapon at range two. You have to attack it at range three. So if you fly this over a Jedi who can only throw his lightsaber at range two, you can rain down Hori Hell on him, which is mm. one of my things I'm going to do with this thing. So nice. anyway. Um, it's fun. Uh, it's cool. I've been list building ever since I've got it finished and I'm kind of excited about that. So that was a lot of hours in the old geek week on the lat L A A T L E patrol transport for star Wars Legion for you guys paying attention. This is probably the geekiest geek thing I've ever done on geek week, but I'm excited about it. Oh, and its name is grease lightning. I also recommend if you make a vehicle, make sure it has a theme song, give it a theme song. 
Second Geek Week is just TV stuff. We I had a, a you know the 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 Geek Planets aligned. There was a new episode of, of Mandalorian, and a new episode of Star Trek Picard within you know forty eight hours of each other, and I was. It was cool to be dipping my feet in both universes within within that short period of time. Picard season three is pretty good so far. Picard season two, oh, those, oh, uh, but I'm on, I'm in for the ride for season three. So if if you tapped out of season two and you have Paramount Plus and you want to go check out season three, I like it so far. The first several episodes have been great, and they've already said this is the last series they're going to do with Picard, and so they're going to say goodbye in in a grand way and it's a huge love letter to the movies of the original the original movies you know the star trek really star trek 2 and star trek 3 the titles and the music and everything with other music cues from first contact but if you watch it it feels like you're watching star trek 2 for a little bit so go check it out if you want to scratch the trek itch it's i'm a little worried i've got a i'm a little worried i've got to get through season two of Picard. I, I think it's kind of you can kind of skip it. Yeah, I think it's skippable. Okay. It's skippable. All right. Um, yeah. It, yeah. Just go straight into three. Yeah. There's absolutely. so many Easter eggs that happen in Picard that um, it's been such a long time since I really was like like immersed in the Star Trek universe that when all the Easter eggs were happening with like the Star Trek stuff in in Picard, I was like. I think I remember that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just like, and I didn't really get into some of the Voyager stuff and DS9. I watched maybe half of it, you know, because I was younger at the yeah. time and busy. And so, like, I never really went back and watched those, even though I know that they were really good. Um, and I think DS9 was one that got better over time. So the first couple seasons oh, were yeah. okay to me, you They're know, tough, but yeah. like, and then, then it got yeah. Good. Yeah, so Certainly. you know, it's, again, some of those Easter eggs. I'm just like, oh gosh, like I, I don't know where I'm at with this because it was like a big reveal moment. I don't know if that's really an Easter egg. It was a big reveal moment, and I'm like, I think I remember why this is supposed to be important, and and so yeah. it kind of lost hmm. me a little bit. Interesting, there, you know? yeah. So well, if you like the the idea of getting the next generation crew back together again, you can just tell from mm -hmm. the advertisement that they're getting the band back together, yeah. and that there's a lot of nostalgia in there. But it's a good story, and I'm on the hook. Uh, Amanda Plummer, if you remember, she was the murderer, and so I married an axe murder. She's also pretty psycho in everything Rose. she does. Sweet Rose, Rose, Rose. sweet heart hearted Rose. harbinger yeah. of haggis, <laughs> heart heart harbinger. <laughs> Yes, exactly. She's the main bad guy uh, right now, no. and oh, she's wow. crazy, okay. and she's chewing up the scenery like nothing else. So, um, go check it out just for her. So it's a, nice. it's a good show. I, I'm gonna give it a thought. Oh, here's the other quick thing about Star Trek. It's in the first, in the original series, and a lot in the Next Generation. They always had the plot of the admiral showing up that wasn't part of the crew that would mess yeah. everything up and want the crew to go do a thing that he wants to go do. <laughs> and the crew's always like, this is stupid. Why are we doing this? That's essentially the plot of episode one, season three of Picard, which is the Admiral shows up and he has a, he's our protagonist this time. We want right. the Admiral to succeed. And, <laughs> uh, and, and everybody's like, you've got to be kidding me. So it's, it's, it's a, it's such a cliche. They call it the Badmiral episodes in oh Star that's Trek hilarious because it's a bad admiral yeah. so it's just kind of tickles me pink that now we get to see things from 
from the bad rules. There, there was a couple game. of those ones in um, Clone Wars animation where like the general would show up, the Jedi general, and you <laughs> yes. know the clones were like, "Dude, seriously, right now?" Or, yeah. or you know, like uh, Ahsoka was like, "What's wrong with that Jedi?" You know. But yeah. anyway, yeah, turn into the dark Take side. That was a good one. He had four yeah. arms. That was a great one. That's right. That's cool. Right. All right, I'll pass it on to you guys. Thanks for letting me go long, but I had a lot to yeah. lot to say this week. Jason, how was your geek week? It was good, man. My, uh, I have been getting caught up on, um, I don't know how to say, I'm going to butcher his name, right? Uh, Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. That's right. His cap, his cab, (laughs) his cabinet of curiosities on Netflix. It's so good. It's so So good. So good. So good. Yeah. It's pretty dark, though. Well, yeah. So, so good. You know, I know. So I, you know, I, know. I, I I'm a very, that. I'm a, I'm a dark kind of guy and I love, um, I love Lovecraft and this has very strong influences from mm-hmm. Lovecraft. Some of them are based on Lovecraft stories, um, yeah. but even ones that aren't, there are a couple that aren't, aren't, you know, Lovecraftian at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but, uh, they, they are, they are really dark. Um, and I'll tell you this, I like, one thing I like about H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's books is that they carry a level of suspense, but they're not they're not unpredictable, mm-hmm. meaning you can kind of always you can kind of see what the end is going to be when you're about halfway to three quarters of the way through the story. Like, I know how this is going to end. And sure enough, and it's, that's not the, <laughs> it's not good. And it's the way it ends. Um, so it's not really a surprise in the ending, but you still have the horror of making your way to that ending. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of these episodes in, in the Cabinet of Curiosities are like that. You can you can tell this is not going to end well, and it's probably going to end like this. And most of the time it does end like that. Uh, but it's still a great ride to get to that ending. Uh, which, it's like watching a slow moving train wreck. Like you just can't take your eyes you can't off take of your it. Eyes off. Yeah. And you know, it's going to be horrible, but you're just like, I, I, I got to see it. Like I can't not look at yeah. it. Right. Yeah. So. There's a lot, you know, it deals a lot with madness um, uh, on all levels, madness, insanity, chasing after what happens if you chase after your dreams, but you allow your dreams to kind of consume you and cross over that cross over that um, kind of uh, inhibition line that we have that kind of keeps us grounded in reality or, or, you know, uh, will we have that inhibitions in us to keep us from doing things that that are unheard of to be able to achieve our dreams. And these, I think deal with a lot of people that are willing to cross that line to kind of achieve what they want. And then the repercussions that come, come from that. So that was, uh, that's when I've been uh, really digging um, a lot of, in fact, I'm going to, I'm going to, let's see if I can, uh share my screen here real quick i'm gonna try to share a tab so while you're sharing this i watched the first episode with my wife and she says you can finish the series by yourself yeah same (laughs) same oh wait she watched the first one yeah the very first episode no 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 no. yeah that that yeah that's that was a good one though i really liked that one i had the guy from uh oh brother we're out there or art thou in it yeah Mm -hmm. so that's some good names that are acting in there uh, my wife jumped in on like um my wife jumped in on the wax one. Oh, okay okay yeah and the whole time she's watching she's like this is really weird and then when it reaches kind of it's it crosses that line and goes into okay it's all downhill from here right yeah she was like mm-mm, 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 you know like the whole time <laughs> we're watching it <laughs> 
And then to the point to where she was in the room reading the book once and I just flipped the TV on and I put that on. She's like, are you going to watch that show again? It's like, yeah, okay, I, I can go out. I'll go out. I'll go out. I was like, we can watch something else, babe. But I put this That's on so just good. to kind of show and I'm flipping on IMDb. So we're going to get some ads in here. But there, that's just the wax one, right? Yeah. This wax body walking through the back of your house and, you know, bodies laying down on. So it's it's oh, definitely got a um, horror vibe. You know, only watch oh, this man. if you if you enjoy horror. But uh, I love it. Um, whoops. Um, just there's one more I wanted to show. So let me see. Well, and what's funny is that very first episode, you know, like that. Yeah. It wasn't really like there wasn't really a lot of like jump scare type stuff. I mean, no. there's some tense parts, right? And it's just classic horror. It's just it's classic, classic, horror. classic horror. Yeah. It's such a good buildup in that first one because you're like, what yeah. is he going to find? What is he going to find? Then he starts finding you're like, ooh, that can't be good. But then this he keeps pulling it and pulling it. And you're like, ooh, yeah. but then it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. But the guy just crosses the line. He doesn't care. It's just but classic Cthulhu. I, so I love this picture because it captures kind of the feeling, right, of these guys walking mm. down an area where you're like, you should absolutely not be there. Wherever they are, you should not be there. Yeah, this but whole they environment are. screaming no. Yes, but they are, and they continue to walk. You know. Yeah, but uh, that was good. So that that was my my first geek week. I'm trying to push through that while well, my my that's wife's really actually good. out of town, so that's helping. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the other thing is uh, the uh, Games Workshop Gorger, right? So this oh, is the original model. Uh, it's not like that big. Okay, like maybe Sorry. maybe an inch and a half. Inches? Yeah. Okay. Uh probably two it two and a half inches. Um, but um that uh that's the model. I don't like this model at all. There's something about it that just kind of looks blocky and uh weird. So gorgers are what's interesting is gorgers are ogres when they have babies, ogres in uh Warhammer. When they have babies, if there's ever anything wrong with the baby. They are like, eh, we don't want this. And it's not like, um, it's not like, uh, you know, uh, like the wild where like the, the, the mother wolf will like sit on a cub, right. To kind of end it prematurely. What the, what the, uh, ogres do is they take their young that have problems and they throw them in a cave and then they push a boulder on. Mm. So it's like, they're giving them an, a chance to survive, just not in their world. So they throw them in this cave and they push the boulder and it's just kind of whatever happens, whatever happens. So the gorgers are those babies that somehow manage to survive inside of this cave. Yeah. And so that's why they have this like pale skin. They're kind of like mutated uh, and such. So what I did is also this, you can't buy this model anymore. You can still play it. There's points, but you can't buy this model. Mm. Or it's one of those that's like it's always out of stock, and you can only yeah. get it online, right? So I took a, um, I took a cryptor, and I put an ogre head on it, and I gave him a little gut. Can you see that? With the green stuff, I gave him a little belly. Nice. Right there. Nothing wrong with yeah. that. Yeah, nothing wrong with he, that. He likes pizza. Come on. It's yeah. Right. So I paint when I painted him. I thought it turned out really well. Like you, the little gut kind of. Just float in there, right? Give with a little a nice overhead. He yeah, give nice him a little navel. navel. Went, I went cute to give him a cute little navel. Um, so that was yeah, uh, that's my my gorger. And I had you know, I used to do flesh eater cords. I have those guys all over the place. 
So, uh, you know, that's that was something I did for my Geek Week because I made my own kind of home homebrew gorger there. So that's going to be, uh, <laughs> yeah, my my gorger, he's going to be part of my list for um, uh, Adepticon and also our uh, tournament that we have this Saturday at uh, Huzzah. Yep, coming up. Yep. Yeah, so that's the first time I've ever used green stuff on a model. And I said, I'm just going to give this guy a little gut. And I thought it turned out pretty well, so... It makes it look a you know, little bit less like an actual crypt horror, which is what I was going for. Have you used green stuff to attach magnets to the bottom of your bases? Oh, I just use super glue. Super glue. Super glue uh, works was, perfect uh, with mm-hmm. magnets. I was watching yeah. Uh, yeah, with Rivertown Hobbies, uh, which is a great channel for a, a really kind of chill guy who, who paints minis. And that's mm-hmm. his go to is. Um, because he does so many of them, he doesn't want to keep track to see which magnets have like separated from the base of the model from super glue. So he just uses the green stuff because it's a little heavier, dutier. Yeah. Oh, heavier and dutier. But and dutier, I recommend yeah. his channel. It's really good. Um, and so you said green stuff, and that perked my curiosity about using it with uh, rare earth magnets. But it's a yeah, beautiful Yeah, I mean, a lot of people use that it's for modeling. Gut. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was my geek week. Very you, cool. Justin? Sorry, I, my camera's doing disco with the lights in my room. Um, so my geek week started out with me reading a book. I wanted to read a science. I wanted to start reading a science fiction book, and I was looking one up, and I thought I was clicking on a specific one, and then I ended up reading a book and realizing I'm like, wait. This wasn't written in the 1970s. I was looking for a Larry Niven book. And oh, when yeah. I was when I was doing like an Amazon thing, I I thought it was a I was like, oh, this looks cool. I was just looking at the cover. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, it's a part of a series. Cool. I'm gonna like start reading it. Turns out it was not Larry Niven at all. It was this yeah. guy named James Rosone. But I was like 10% through the book before I realized there's no way that this was written in the 1970s because he was talking about like in the in like uh, uh, 2150. There was like uh, on the moon, there was the Elon Musk space station, mm. right? So I'm like, <laughs> wait, what? how did he get this in 1970? What? You know, and they're talking like about the Blue Origins, low orbit Earth, like Magrail, yeah. you know, and so, um, so it's a series that he, this guy writes. Now, I want you to name the first thing you guys think of when I describe some of the events that are happening in this book. There's miners that are mining ice in an asteroid belt, and they're attacked by a mysterious ship. And they're trying to get away. Bingo. Just like the Expanse. So I'm like, what? Or Ice Pirates. I was thinking (laughs) Ice Pirates. (laughs) I was thinking Ice Pirates. That's where I was my go-to. Yeah, but it was really feeling like the expanse, like right off, you know. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like seriously. And then they they find life on this planet, so they go there, and they get to this planet, and they're trying to like set up a diplomatic mission, and they see that there's, you know, these humanoid people, and then there's these really tall, eight foot, blue skinned people with dark hair with braids and cat like eyes. What does that sound like? Avatar. Tall Avatar. It sounds just like Avatar. I'm like, dude, this guy's ripping off like every like 
recent trope that this guy like that happened between like 2012 and 2020 this was written in 2020 i I will say his story is original uh these blue skinned avatar like people have forearms not two um but their names were like tachok just like in avatar like they're like these like indian style names are they like the aliens from uh uh from mars from what's that old book series with the guy who went to john uh John, oh, uh, Carter John Carter, John Carter, because those guys had forearms too. They were tall and had forearms. Oh, I think it does. Yeah. I think it's a lot like that. And so yeah. he's probably like, he's probably they were native, like, like native. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's totally like that. So he's probably Indigenous like, I'm, I'm hanging my. Um, sorry, guys. I just realized I didn't plug my PC in, and it's about to die on me. Ooh. So I know. Hurry! That would be really bad. I know. I'm working on it. T minus ten. Nine. Uh, uh, <laughs> pay no attention to the camera running? wobbling all over the place. I know. Viewers at home, quick throw all up right. the Chiron right. that says, We'll be back in a minute. Technical difficulties. Grab a snack. Oh, now he's frozen. Oh, no, you're okay. unfrozen. All right. So, we're, I, oh, did I lose synchronicity? No, we got too? you. We got you. We're, we're back. Okay. We're okay, back. Good. We got you're you. back. Okay. So, yeah. So, I'm reading this and I'm like, So, uh, forearmed I don't avatars. Know if I yeah, four armed avatars after you tried an expanse thing, but he pivoted away from the expanse. So I'm kind of like, how many little like Easter egg style references is this guy going to throw in there? Like, I don't know. Who knows? You know, so I don't know. I'll probably finish the book and then go back and read the Larry Niven book that I really wanted to read. Which Larry um, Niven book were you trying to read? I can't remember at this point. Which was one should Why I should you just read the uh, I think it was Ringworld. It was Ringworld. If you ha- oh, you have to read Ringworld. Mm-hmm. I haven't read yeah, it if yet. If you haven't Jason. read it, you have to read it. Yeah, well, now I need to. You have to read the first classic. one. Okay. So that was my first one. My second one, um, I randomly saw a YouTube short from this 1995 series called Sharps Rifles. And this is what spawned the topic for today because it's an amazing series about this um, this non-commissioned officer who's a sergeant that showed gallantry he saved lord wellington's life during the napoleonic wars in spain and basically it's this guy sharp who is sean bean by the way and i love me some sean bean um he is this leader of this ragtag band of riflemen in a musket world right so they're kind of like the special forces and they're sent on these like cool little missions but they're part of the larger britannic army that is in um spain i just need to play a little clip of this for you guys so that you can see the awesomeness of what i'm talking about this was done in the 90s remember um and i'm just gonna play the opening song for you guys so that you hear this because it's really it's really something um all right here we go window okay I think I needed to do something else. Sorry, hold on, hold on. Now well, we can see YouTube history. Share screen, share tab audio. Okay, all right. Yeah. Yeah, Sorority Sisters whoops. Seven. Oh, no, not that one. <laughs> Earth Girls. Yes. <laughs> Are easy. That's right. Very disappointing. Oh, totally. <laughs> They're actually not that and easy. Jim That's Carrey. the crazy part of it. Yeah, and, Jim and Gina Carrey Davis. And Damon Wayans. It's amazing. That cast so is crazy good. 
<laughs> All right, here we go. That's Listen right. to this because it's some epicness. Here's here's the intro to Sharp's Rifles. that's enough it, it I, makes me want to have like perfect posture for some reason i want to be like <laughs> nothing screams napoleonic war like some metal guitar you know it's <laughs> <laughs> just like some electric yeah. guitar riffs in there you know so i mean yeah, super british, 90s right yeah british music for tv shows they have kind of a different aesthetic they have a much more kind of you know, listen to all the Doctor Who's and some other similar shows, Blackadder and stuff like that. You'll hear kind of different tones that no one in America would ever use in a use in a theme song. So they just have their own different way of doing it. It's okay. They take they have it's their pretty, own. It's pretty. It's pretty flavor. Like in the in the show itself, like something awesome will be happening, and like they'll just go into like straight like electric guitar riff, and you're just like these guys are fighting with muskets. <laughs> doesn't fit but it's awesome um anyway my whole point was as i started watching this i got totally sucked in i've like watched a bunch of each episode is actually like a mini movie they're like an hour and 40 41 minutes long and um they're kind of like the sherlock's you know like that were like really long with benedict cumberbatch so -hmm. they're like really long um they're they're super fun and i totally i may put together a whole rpg campaign just based on this show because like each episode is a really cool adventure that you could do with your friends so um it sounds like a lot of fun and again it's fun it, it kind of inspired tonight's um podcast because it's all about like the mil- military and napoleonic war in spain so good times is it the there. is it the sharps is it called yeah. the sharps, sharps? no just sharp? so you can sharp sharp, sharp. With an e and the, the end, first like yeah, Sharpie. Sharpie. And um, Sharp's Rifles is the first one. So it's pretty right. good. Good times. So now I'll probably, if one I'll probably wants, refer if one to it. If one wants to bit. watch the show, Justin, YouTube. On, wants, it's free on YouTube. YouTube only. Free on YouTube. Okay. Cool. Yep. And free it has YouTube. a young Sean Bean. Yeah, Ooh, very so young Sean Bean. Dashing. This is. um. Post, this is post GoldenEye, though. Okay, got it. Got it, got it, got it. Cool. It's mm. exciting. Interesting. That's something new to watch. Yeah. Excellent. Post Ronin 18 episodes. As well. Yeah. 18 yeah. episodes. That's yeah. good. And they're long, you say. They are long, but they're fun. They're a lot of blast. Yeah, a lot of blast. They're a cool. blast to watch. A lot of fun. Anyway, that's my Geek Week. So uh, Dan, looking, wanna... looking at the 
looking at the yeah. clock, you sure you want to do the news or you want to jump right into our main topic? Um, it's your the, call. Can you give us the highlights yeah. of the news? Okay. Well, we can't do it without a little without a little of this. Come on, play, man. You're not playing. Welcome to Tabletop and Beyond News. You know when you're using your uh, volume control on your phone to do a fade out, you've you've reached a new level of of <laughs> low rent audio drops. I like the ticker. We gotta we gotta put a, a stocks down there too. That's right. Exactly. It's the news section. But a bit, it's got to yeah, be like gamer, gamer like Piazzo or like, uh, yeah, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> I Has never Burrow's do the Piazzo news. Yeah, Piazzo, there was so yeah, much Piazzo news that got left on the cutting room floor. I swear, I'm, it always does with you, Dan. It always does. I'm just like I don't care about your Piazzo stuff. Sorry. All right, uh, Larian <laughs> Studios yeah. announced the release date for Baldur's Gate Three via a trailer mm. during the PlayStation State of the Play event. And that day will be August 31st this year. And it will feature the voice talents of J.K. Simmons from Spider-Man and Invincible and other such great films. Um, he'll be the main antagonist. This will be a cross-platformer that all, all three platforms will be released at the same time. It'll go out on PC, Mac, and PS5, but not Xbox. Um, there what have been some technical best. difficulties. So uh, anyway, for Baldur, for those that don't know, Baldur's Gate has a long history of being one of those things that kind of kept D&D kind of in the zeitgeist for a little bit when people stopped playing it. Because you could, if you didn't have an RPG group, you could just like go play Baldur's Gate and get a very D&D, a very yep. D&D-like experience with all the rules mm -hmm. uh, being very mm -hmm. D20 oriented. So it was pretty much the same kind of rules engine from the earlier versions of D&D into the video game. So anyway, there's... It's alive and well, and the third version, I know they've had dozens of titles, but this is like a major version instead of a, you know, a minor uh, addition to a title's, you know, additional uh, campaign expansions. I played exciting. Baldur's Gate 2 back in like 2002, and uh, my friend and I would play co-op. And we played the heck out of it. And we'd get to the point where our wives were telling us, like, you guys need to, like, chill out. So we're like, all right, fine. And then he would go home. And then I would start a single-player campaign and accidentally save over our two-player game. <laughs> like, I did that, like, three times to the point where he said, I'm not playing this ever again with you. <laughs> I don't want to be your friend anymore, Justin. <laughs> right? Because you don't care enough to save our game that we've invested so much into. <laughs> Well, yeah. in the realm of merch, moving on to our second news item, WizKids is expanding its offerings of life-size Dungeons & Dragons replicas. You can pre-order a Mimic. For those who don't know what a Mimic is, a Mimic is a creature that looks like a chest of treasure that turns into a monster that wants to bite you. The figure is a one-to-one -one scale, um, and it's about 20 inches tall. They uh, have uh, all. They have some additional one-to-one -one scale items, such as the uh, Quasit, the pseudo dragon, the Demolich, and the hand and eye of Vecna. 
So this will be their uh, fourth addition to that line. So for those who need one-to-one -one scale D&D stuff in their life, they can uh, get that. They can get they can get a mimic for the low low price of three hundred seventy five dollars. Hmm. Hmm. They're practically giving that mimic away. Practically. That's awesome. That's good. But the sculpt looks the sculpt looks really fun. I think it's uh, it's it's a it's a cool sculpt. So um, uh, that's like something you get if you've got a game that. shop. You know, like yeah, if you've got a game or... store. Okay, now let, let's say like um, uh, if you have a game room where it looks like you've been accumulating dragon heads and other life-size paraphernalia, it would be a really nice fit for that. If you're trying to make everything look like if all your accoutrements are not minis but actual life-scale stuff, that would be something you could put mm. on a, a shelf in your, uh, in your game room. What's the over-under on how many you think they'll sell? What's you know, uh, considering that a mimic is prominently featured in the trailer for the new D and D uh, film, I think it's. I think they're going to fill every order they get. I think and how many is that? One of those. Uh, I I don't know what the market is for big chunky miniatures are, but it's enough for them to you know put out a three hundred seventy five dollar miniature. I mean, Dan, I, bought I need a, a number. Uh, I bought, I don't know, man. I bought a $200 Super Star Destroyer for Armada that I took to one tournament one time and played with. So that has game is... value, though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You could, in a D&D &D campaign, pick up this $375 foam plastic <laughs> mimic and chuck it at a player across the table. That would have real value. Everybody would remember Jason, that session. How many? That's true. How many do you think they sell of this? Over, under? Wild guess. Um, I think it's going to be sub one thousand, so in the hundred. Okay. All right. I was going to say a thousand. I think they'd sell a thousand. I don't know, man. Three hundred seventy-five dollars. I don't particular. I'm going to be honest. I don't particularly like the sculpt. It doesn't look like what I have always pictured a mimic to look like. Hey, but I'm hey, also biased in... because of uh, mimics of the Dark Souls franchise, which look. Very much more like treasure chests. Very this good. one, Fair I think enough. you can only tell it looks like a treasure chest if you look at it from the side or the back. From the front on, it just looks like the giant head of a purple monster. <laughs> I had that purple headed monster. Yeah. It's okay, though. I think that, you know, some, like I said, some people like it. I think they're probably going to sell, I'm going to say five to 600. And I could totally be wrong, but that'll be my. Okay. All right. It's a lot of money, three hundred seventy-five dollars. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, people are stupid they, they, and want to. I mean, not stupid, <laughs> but stupid with their money sometimes when they really like something. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, everybody, yeah. everybody has different. Everybody has different tastes, right? I mean, this I just is think a thousand people. This is the fifth one they've made. Yeah, and the other one. I was think there's like, a thousand what? people out there that will spend in the world that will buy this. So that would mean probably they'd only fair. make thirty-seven thousand gross. They'd probably make about two or three or four thousand of these, and you know, kind of break six figures. Yeah, maybe. All right. So Dan, you did give me a number after all. Well, it's there. Kind you of, go. Uh, it's it's a just tough had to question give you the under cause... number. Then you went, no, that's too little. <laughs> I just don't yeah, know. right. Exactly. 
Hey, yeah. they're, they're. I think they'll sell like ten. To, yeah, <laughs> like ten. They're shipping it to to over twenty countries. Yeah. It's well, then at least twenty. Thing. All right, twenty. Twenty. One in know. each country. <laughs> one, just one. Yeah, that's a fair point. Think of all the little game stores in all the world and all the D and D game rooms that need need their own. I'm telling you. Yep. Yeah. All right. Maybe. Uh, maybe uh, three thousand. There you go. All right. All That's right. We've beaten this mimic to death. <laughs> well, you need to usually when you encounter one. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's Andy, the news. I, I've got one. I've got one other thing. It's super fast. Look, convention season is upon us without even being upon us yet. What that means is, Gen Con tickets are on sale. The events haven't gone up yet. It's usually in May where you buy tickets, but the tickets are on sale. Nova Open tickets went on sale this last week. Um, and Adepticon is happening in like three weeks. And so, um, look, if you are interested in attending a convention, like now's the time to be poking around for it. It's not going to be in six months because you'll probably be too late and not be able to get any of the things that you want to do or have, have fun with the things you want to have fun with or even be with the people you want to be with. Uh, so... Now's the time to do it. Make sure that you are looking at, uh, you know, big big conventions. There's a lot of a lot of good stuff that's happening out there. So just keep your eyes open and uh, Google's your friend. So just wanted to throw that out there, Dan. That's great. I mean, I've now I'm now registered for two conventions, and I thought I was going to go to zero this year. So uh, nice. and neither of those two is Gen Con for some weird reason. So what which, the what? What? Wait, well, which convention what... are you going to other than Nova Open? I'm going to KublaCon in San Francisco. Didn't you listen yeah. to our last episode? Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, guys. I, I missed okay. some of that. You had the shingles, so it's cool. It's man. also not a weird reason shibbles. why. <laughs> it's also not a weird reason why you're not going to Gen Con. It's because you're going on a cruise with your wife. That's true. Yeah, because we've been married for two decades, and she hasn't ditched me yet, which she has every right to. Yeah, it fair would enough. be a step up for her. So, but she's 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 she ain't quitting the team. <laughs> all right that's the news let's kill the news very and good. move on to our awesome topic very good i'm hiding my thing and i'm showing another thing here we go main topic very good all right so we wanted to talk about tonight with you wow we're 46 minutes in already which is good because <laughs> i don't know that we've got like i don't i don't know that we've got a a, a ton of yeah. like it's not like we got an hour's worth on this you know yeah. this topic so it's maybe, okay maybe like maybe like 10 more minutes <laughs> maybe like 44 <laughs> more minutes jason <laughs> jeez <laughs> they okay, come for the content so, jason they come for the content that's right that's right uh okay so how to run a military style campaign so i'm gonna throw this question out here um, what is the difference between like a military style campaign and your average run of the mill RPG campaign that you that you may play in? What's the difference? Uh, group there? group composition, which is why people are together in the first place. Mm -hmm. So okay. usually there's yep. a D and D party. Everybody meets mm -hmm. in a tavern. There's basically you come up with a contrivance why this group has formed. That's usually mm -hmm. kind of thin. Like oh, we're all a smugglers group or whatever it is. A military campaign, it's it's explicit. It's part of the, the rigor and structure of the game is to say you all are in this organization and this is the role you have, bang. 
and it's very mm -hmm. clear and not, oh, well, this is my cousin and, you know, and we're going off adventuring. Yeah, like Juan, uh, or what was it, uh, Juan A and Juan B? Remember those guys from <laughs> our right, campaign exactly. that we had at Gen Con? Yeah, it's a deep cut. <laughs> you just make it up stuff all day exactly. long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no, yeah, you, you so get into right. military campaign because you want to play in a military campaign. Um, mm -hmm. Make sure you have a conversation with your players that you say, okay, well, it's not just the choices you make. It's orders. It's It's your code of ethics, your code of conduct. There's other kind of structural barriers that will shape your role-playing decisions during the game. And you got to sign up for it. And you got to sign up for the consequences of what happens when you buck those rules. Uh, yes. I want to put a pin in that and come back to it because I think that that is a huge part of this. But uh, yeah. Jason, what, like, what do you think is the difference between uh, like a military style campaign and a uh, just a run of the mill role play game? And a follow-on question after you answer that, do you consider the Aliens RPG to be a military-style campaign? Discuss. That's a follow-on question. Don't think about that one too hard yet. Okay. Okay. So first question, because that one, my mind went reeling. Uh, I think it's a skin. Okay. Because whether it's a military campaign, whether it's you all work for a corporation, Mm -hmm. whether you all have been enlisted by the government to do investigations, whether you work for the same police detective, uh, you know, office. I think all role-playing games have an underlying thing that ties the players together towards a common objective. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily think that the um, hierarchy and, in the uh uh we'll say the um the rank system presents anything uh differentiating than normal role playing with parties what i think does maybe do it is this the plots and the sense of the uh the story as you're usually serving I don't know. Now that I think about it, I mean, I feel like it's just another skin on the same concept that there's some overarching driving force that's brought your team together to go after an objective that's usually driven by a higher level, uh, higher level strategy. Do you think that? Um, so I, I agree. I think that it can be both what both of you guys said because I don't think that both of you uh, are talking about the same kind of campaign. I don't. I think that you guys are talking about two different kinds of campaigns. And one is just a skin that just kind of provides you sort of that fig leaf and like this is what we're doing and kind of a backdrop to it. But I think that there is a way to run a man military campaign that Dan's talking about that really leans in heavy and really begins to incorporate like those military structures, the idea of orders, the idea of like... Um, you know, we'll, we abide by the Geneva convention type of thing. And what happens when you don't, you know, and, yeah, but you have that with a starship crew that has, that has a captain well, and a first officer and an engineer. That's not military. Is that based. a military campaign? So I would say no. How, okay. Ooh, I, I, it depends on how you structure it. Okay. So every yeah. time you give the pl one player, a decision space to make 
an, an authoritative decision that affects the lives of all the other players, and that's structured mm -hmm. in a rank system. You're smack dab in the middle of a military campaign. I just did Klingons. We've I've done Star Trek in the past, mm -hmm. and somebody has to be the damn captain unless you've structured the campaign differently. Then you're on a starship, right? Okay, so I everybody, get it. Everybody can come to it with their different skill sets, and that's great. But you need to be wildly acutely aware if you're game mastering this, or you're setting it up, or you're the one who wants to get the players together. You got a group of people that can't play in that kind of a a, 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 a milieu where if somebody's mm -hmm. going to give an order, you got to live with it. Now there's a counter. You can still be in in a military campaign and have everybody be on equal footing. And that's where everybody has the same rank. Maybe everybody's a buck private. Maybe everybody's a new recruit. Maybe uh -huh. you're all graduating the academy together. Uh, maybe you're all going through basic training together and you're bonding over basic training before you're deployed. Those can be awesome ways to do um, a military campaign that you're not stepping on each other's toes about, are we going to fight or flight? Those are basic, that's a basic question about any conflict, you know, do we defend or attack? Um, and sometimes you can have the authority figure, you can have the sergeant or the captain or whatever, or the captain of the ship be a, a non-player character. Um, and that is one model to do it. You just have to know your players and know what they're in the mood for. If you have players that want to like, oh yeah, I want to rank up and maybe be the this someday. Maybe I want my own thing maybe i want i, I want to mm -hmm. build my own military career uh if you're in a long-term campaign you have to be aware of that sometimes in a military campaign and you're on a boat and everybody's com uh, coming up with different ideas of what to do next and they get into analysis paralysis as the gm you point to the captain and say you're the captain of the ship you tell me the exact thing you're going to do next what's your or what are your orders and man, I've seen some players' eyes get real big, like, oh, they're going to do the thing I was just telling them not to do. So it takes, um, they can't be fun. It, it, but but a player to player conflict, you have to have kind of, a, you have to be aware of it. You got to manage it a little differently than you would. Oh, we're a bunch of treasures looking for gold and murder, murder hobooing our way through a fantasy realm. Yeah. So, Sorry, that's my Jason, long you were. On that. So you were you were about to agree with Dan. I was about to Dan, agree <laughs> on the premise. I think okay. I think I'm getting hung up on semantics. I think because okay. everything Dan described doesn't have to be in a specifically a military setting. Mm -hmm. Everything mm -hmm. Dan described can be in a corporation authoritative rank. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. I think what we're really talking about is a. You're, I think what we're getting at is it, it's some sort of a relationship between the players that's a rank hierarchy. Mm, right because okay. it could it doesn't when i think military i think you're in a war scenario that's okay. what i think of when i think military but mm -hmm. you can be in a authoritative ranked scenario completely sure. not in a war campaign okay but still have rank hierarchy with the decision tree and so, the consequences yeah. of following or not following it so what i'm hearing is one to have a military campaign, you do need a rank hierarchy, but that is not what exclusively makes a war a a, a military campaign, right? So you have to have that, Fair. but it's yep. not. The it's not what campaign. makes it, but it is pretty right. common. Those those pieces of carrots go there. together pretty. well. It has to be there. I think, I, I think it has to be there. You have to have that rank hierarchy, unless you're doing Two, like a Force Nine from Navarro type thing. 
which is the mm-hmm. Star Wars approach or a Dirty Dozen. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, yeah, I said my sure. piece. Keep going. Number two. Sure, sure. All right, number two, Jason, I think you touched on this, right? Like, for a military campaign, I think you need a war scenario. I don't think you could have sort of a peacetime military campaign. Like, that's pretty boring, bro. You're going to go to deliver supplies to, like, hungry, needy people, right? We're going to run drills. We're going to run drills again. We're I mean, going to play can, a game about can, war gaming. Right. <laughs> exactly. So you yeah, right. We're going to plan the plan. You can, um, but you can start out as a peacetime warrior group and transition into conflict right because it's like what's happening oh my gosh we're being attacked like we gotta do something but i think you said something key there too right jason is that you um have to have uh like a war scenario how does that play out in like an rpg thing because in my opinion if you are going to war game you should just war game right like if you're gonna play big battles go get your models out and roll a bunch of dice like it doesn't like as an RPG. How do you how do you deal with like, and in a campaign, how do you deal with this war that's going on? Like, 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 what do you guys think? How do you adjudicate that sort of? You have to enjoy war stories that are different than battle stories. Okay. Okay. Hmm. So there's a lot. I mean, the beauty of this is that there's a gazillion movies on the subject. I mean, look at Saving Private Ryan. So the war becomes a backdrop. It makes it very clear who the kind of the obvious bad guys are. But even in Saving Private, Saving Private Ryan, they take a twist on that and say, well, what if you don't shoot the prisoner and what happens and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, But anyway, um, what kind of war stories do you want to tell that are different than the battle itself? And a role-playing game situation usually fits really well with four or five individuals. So you're usually in a squad or a special forces unit, right? Yeah. And so you have to look at the stories where that excels, you know? Um, what mo- what war movies are your favorites? And that includes aliens, you know? That includes, you know, sci-fi stuff. Um, what What's the universe you want to go play in? And what does your group want to go play in? And what is, what is the game master... Uh, inspired by you were inspired mm-hmm. by the napoleonic war right yeah the the, yeah. the sharp just recently right thing just recently yeah. okay so you get you think through the the idea look they had 18 episodes they must have had 18 really interesting stories uh, set up against a battle backdrop mm-hmm. and maybe mm-hmm. you spend the whole time you know cowering you know, or, you know, running, running on the run because your, your force has just been overpowered and you're trying to keep your unit alive. Yeah. Or, you know, there's lots of, there's just lots of different ways to go, Uh, but make the story, make the war be the backdrop of the story. I mean, between 19, like 35 and 1965, Hollywood produced dozens (laughs) and dozens and dozens of war movies. So, you know, go yeah. find the one that interests you the most and, and check it out. Maybe adapt it to your genre. I and mean, it could be a lot of fun. Yeah. So what, so what do you think, Jason? What does the role of uh, war and battle play in the military campaign? Same concept that mm-hmm. Dan said. It depends on what you want to do. Uh, we, I'll give you a, a couple examples. Um, I think the easiest go-to in a military campaign is to have your have the players be a squad of special forces of some mm-hmm. some form right so you asked the question earlier is the aliens rpg a military style 
uh, RPG. I would say um, the question really is what campaign are you running? Is Aliens have a setting that makes it easy to run a military campaign? And I think the answer is yes, because it has much of the much of the um, uh, um, the setting revolves around a conflict that's going on with the UAC and the UPP and mm-hmm. your players. There's a whole campaign book, the colonial Marines, right? So you can build a campaign setting completely around that where you are maybe a squad of Marines that have been given an assignment and you're going out there and you're playing. Um, Another thing that you can do though with aliens is you can do you can do kind of like a space truckers approach where you're not in you're not a colonial marine so it just depends on how you want to run the scenario how you want to run the campaign. Uh, years ago we played uh, Rogue Trader, the mm-hmm. Warhammer right, and um, that evolved into a strong military uh, campaign because we got into a situation where we were on in a planet that was we knew had an imminent invasion by orcs and one of our members not all of us but one of our members was an officer or had rank i think it was you dan that had rank um and it turned into a badly yeah well (laughs) but it turned into it turned into while we were a unit of four or five folks it turned into more of a strategic battle because we were controlling large-scale fleets and sending fleets off of to to protect certain fronts in space and then it migrated down to planet side and then we were protecting certain fronts to the uh, station or the uh, ground base that we were protecting so in that case it was more of a larger scale kind of strategy um, campaign and then the role playing dealt with you know uh, the coup style things that happen inside of the ranks in wartime when people have different opinions and are trying to exercise different things. So uh, I think to answer your question, it's like all role playing, man. Role playing is the beauty behind a role playing game is you have a total freedom in how you architect the campaign and even where the campaign goes uh, can start off as a non military and it could turn into a military or vice versa. Yeah, yeah that's I a really wanna... good. Uh... Oh, go ahead, Dan. I want to I want to point our our listeners to the 2019 movie Midway, which I think does this really really well. It's you know the story of the Battle of the Midway, but it starts out in the middle. Well, it starts out in Pearl Harbor, so you get your you're introduced to your characters, and the backdrop is the Pearl Harbor attack. So, what are your characters doing in the during the Pearl Harbor attack? Who lives and who dies, and what do the characters learn, and 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 how do they grow from that? And then by the time they get to the final battle of Midway, the main characters are doing leverage point things where if they don't do exactly what they need to do, exactly when they need to do it, the whole hinge of the battle is going to swing on what that what what that one bomber did. You know, what what um, uh, the main character was, his name was Dick Best. And he, he's a, that's not a, it's not a joke. Uh, he, he, that was his name in real life was Dick Best, and he has the highest number of kills of aircraft carriers of any airman ever. So he's killed, destroyed more aircraft carriers than anybody, and he took out two of them in one day. So you can you can come up with the story. So they took the Battle of Midway, which is this huge battle where it turned the tide of the war in the Pacific, but it really became about this guy uh, Best and as an airman and what, what he was able to do and accomplish. Um, and that could be a fun way 
to to uh, to tell these stories, mm-hmm. and that puts your characters in the middle of it. And he couldn't do it by himself. He had co-pilots, and he had other people, and he had senior officers and stuff that made all that possible. It wasn't a superhero show. So, um, could you imagine was- having a name like that in middle school? Like, there's no way they could make fun of you. Nope. With I, your it name, did it, it did like, it, go ahead, try it, to make fun of me with my name. What does it say? The term dick as referring as being an off color phrase is a relatively newer thing. It didn't it wasn't now. like that, you know, 20, 30 Still years now. ago. So. First name yeah. or last name, comma first. Oh, well, no. that was not the first thing people thought of. I had this exact same conversation with my 10 year old son. <laughs> I'm sure it's not. We There's drove no to Dick's to Sporting Goods to get him hockey gear. He's like, Dad. <laughs> Look at what they named the store, and he's Ted. I'm like, it didn't always mean what you think it means. Okay, let's not let's just let's not do that. Stands for Richard. Yeah, Um, exactly. So yeah, look, I think so. It's interesting because Dan, your point stands right. Any war movie, any war show that you go watch that Hollywood has ever made is really trying to tell the story of what happened at these different places, right? Like you look at the a bridge too far or um, the bridge of Remagen, or even if you pick up like band of brothers or the Pacific, right? Those, those stories that, um, or those uh, HBO series that were like 10 episodes each, each episode had a theme that they were trying to get across and was telling the story of the people that happened to be in the battle. Right. And yes, there were yeah. war scenes that were very um, visual and cinematic and things like that. Um, so, I, I think that that's key, right? Like the battle need the war needs to be in the background. And we have talked about this with other, um, you know, other RPGs of like, you need to have your big bad in the background. Well, the big bad is the war, right? And you have mm-hmm. the other side, which is the big enemy. And so, you know, you're usually going to be doing something against that enemy or for the good guys or against the bad guys. All right. Like that's kind of how it plays out a little bit. Um, so the war is the backdrop. Um, the question that I have is that, you know, and, and this is going to be the natural question of like, how do you handle battle scenes in your campaign? Because, um, we, we like, uh, Jason said, we had rogue trader and there was battle scenes. It was a lot of spreadsheet work. It was a lot of like, like yeah. bookkeeping that just like really kind of took, like for me as the DM, like it really took me out of it. And I'm like, this feels just like I'm playing risk with myself on a spreadsheet and that's not fun yeah. you, you lose know the all the fun of five column yeah. counting right yeah, you so lose, Jason, you lose the storytelling aspect of it yeah so how do you put that how do you put that story into a big battle because really inevitably any military campaign is going to need to have a battle at some point or another so how do you put that yeah. storytelling I, into the battle yeah. I, I think dan things. has done I think Dan has done a good job about this when we played Star Wars campaigns where there is an overarching larger war or conflict, but Mm -hmm. the players get put in a very critical path of a decision that will turn the tide of that war. Uh, So it's, you know, whether it's a key thing, like you get the plans to the Death Star, right? Or something like that. It's something that will turn the tide of the war, whether or not your players what the actions they have, but it doesn't have to be their commanding the fleets. It can just be, mm-hmm. you know, cause, cause wars, wars are one can be won by very small divisive things, right. That cause mm-hmm. a different uh, disruption to one side or the other. 
Um, you almost the fronts that are being fought are almost just trying to maintain a status quo while you look for those little disruptors that mm-hmm. allow one side to turn over the other. So let your players be involved in that little disruptor. That's key. And Dan's done a really good job uh, with that yeah, as we you. played Star Wars in the past. Yeah. I th- there's some um, role playing game systems have systems built into do large scale wars, and so mm-hmm. uh, whatever that they have, if you're in a system that's doing it then you don't have to homebrew anything. Like fortunately, Star Wars does has a it does have a mass combat system. It's not in the core book. You have to go find it in the expansions, but it's there and it's in it's in two places. You can put your hands on it. But what you can do, so that's one way to do it is if they publish something just do whatever they published. If they have not published something, you can characterize both armies as characters or uh, two groups of a small number of characters mm-hmm. and you figure out what are their advantages, strengths and weaknesses. And you figure out what your players are doing to help your side. And what are the bad guys doing to help their side? And then you have two NPCs slug it out. And then you figure out a way to say, okay, well, it looks like, it looks like you guys got totally decimated and in warfare, that means you've lost X number percentage of the main troops. And so, you can paint the story based on dice rolls that are that are based on maybe a very lightweight aggregation. It can be as simple as every single you know large unit gets a d10, every medium unit gets a a d8, and every small unit gets a d6. And you pick up two sides of dice and you drop them, and you say, okay, my players, I'm going to put them in as a d20 on on the good guy side, add up the numbers, and come up with who won. You can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, if if there's if the story is going to affect how big or how small or how powerful one one army is going to be against the other one, and that's the fun part. That's that's where your players are are, are going to be that that hinge point on the side of history. Where do they move it? Is it the plans to yeah. the Death Star? Are they going to undermine five units so they can't show up to battle? or something along those lines, right? Or are they going to bring in five units on your side and tip the scales? And that I would recommend you guys look at doing that and don't overcomplicate it. Don't do what Justin did on the spreadsheet. That's right. Um, because, and I was doing what said, the system told me, right? I was doing what the system told yeah. me and it just was not, it wasn't very good. If it's good. not fun, don't do it. If it's not fun, yeah. don't do it. It's the spreadsheet is just a, a big dice, a big aggregation of numbers anyway. So why don't you just dumb it down and Fisher price yeah. it down to the core essentials? Well, and what so I like my- is that, yeah, thank you, Dan. What, what what I like is that idea of like being able to roll dice or whatever, and you have a dice pool, and then what you can do is say like, okay, at this point in the battle, like I have a moment where my players can go do X, Y, and Z, and depending on how well they perform that task, like maybe it's like, hey, I need you to go take out that absurd like you know observation post or that machine gun nest, like that is one task that they can go do and they can face off against other NPCs or something like that. But because they took out that machine gun nest or maybe, you know, now you can affect that big dice pool that you're talking about. Now you can maybe add some dice in favor of the good guys because there's less dudes getting killed now. So more people can storm the beach or whatever it is. You know what I mean? You can kind of tell that narrative story. Um, But maybe the bad guys, they rolled something to where like, Oh, you thought you killed him, but really another dude popped up and started shooting away again. And it, it kind of tipped the dice back and forth. So 
um, you know, you you find those hinge points that Jason, you're talking about, and those can affect the kind of the overall dice math that you're talking about, Dan. I think that really makes for a compelling battle session that you can have with your players. Um, I'm going to spoil one of the sh- one of the sharp episodes, right, from the Napoleonic War. So he um, he wanted to capture a um a golden eagle is what they called it and basically it was just like the britain's colors you know the flag they had these napoleonic eagles that were like bronze or gold or something like that and napoleon himself had touched them so it's like you could never let it touch the touch the ground you could never do that and so sharp said i'm gonna go get one of those because if they captured it in the middle of the battle it was super demoralizing and like yeah. the French troops would run, right? And so that was like their personal mission. They asked to be put on a certain line or part of the line, and they would go after it and try to do that. Like, what a great little point that we're talking about, right? The battle is happening, and your group is like, we need to go capture that one thing because it's going to cause the enemy to have like a ton of, um, you know, be completely dis- demoralized. Um, and, and cause like a lot of people to flee, which will give us the upper hand in the battle. Right. So like put those little missions in there for your players to do something. Um, and again, I think that fits with the, with the idea that there's special forces or maybe a crack unit or, or something where they're, where they're needed. And, um, if they can do that, that's those hinge points. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And think about the consequences and they need to feel the consequences of their actions. Right. So mm-hmm. if they screw up, let them screw up and let the consequences really hurt. Like let let it really hurt. So instead of instead of everybody kissing you as your as a liberator and everybody having a ticker tape parade when you roll into town, the villagers are running. There's you know there's uh, looting. Um, people are running scared and and their lives are in danger. Right, the players' lives are in danger. Or where where are the battle lines moving because of the players' actions? Are you pushing mm-hmm. out or pulling back? Um, and in, increase the level of tension based on, on failure or poor decision-making. What I recommend not doing is writing the history of this war and then putting the players on a train and they're just, they're just passengers along the train of what's yeah. happening. You can do that. That's perfectly acceptable. If you're big into reenacting, you know, if you're a real history buff and you want to take somebody through the Civil War or World War II, that's okay. Uh, that's okay, dude. That can have its own fun. Um, because, but, but it can also be really scary if you're like, you know, being deployed to Iwo Jima or, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Tarawa yeah. or something like that. You're like, oh no, th- this does not end good. This does not end good, you know, or Monte Cassino, I think in, in Italy where we just got mm-hmm. waxed really hard. So, um, and then, and then your players are in Wikipedia to see how bad the situation is <laughs> figure out how, how does this how do we yeah. get out of this one alive so but that could be fun too um that can have its own charm if if that's what your players want to do if you know you got yeah. three or four history buffs going hey i want to do the civil war let's do it um or they well, want and, may want to do an alternate history and that can be fun too mm-hmm. and i i like the idea of um when you prepare a session where you have a big battle in it that you are um planning for the good and the bad, right? So, you know, if, if for example, you know, your mission was to go capture one of these golden eagles and they come back with the golden eagle, hey, some good things happened 
and that opens up certain doors for things to happen, right? Um, what if they don't come back with it? What if the French ended up beating them back because they took too yeah. many losses? Now what? Now what? Now what are they going to do? Make those consequences feel real as well. Like um, their their superior commanders are going to be livid that they took the risk of trying to capture this eagle in the middle of a battle when they were asked to hold the line. You know, uh, okay, and now yeah. what do they need to do? You know, maybe they get sent to have to go do something else now and make a make good out of a bad situation or something, you know? So Right. And you have to know where, where if your players are playing on offense or defense, and we talked about covert ops and going behind the lines. Mm-hmm. If you're on defense and you're in Pearl Harbor, you're going to get just hit by a tsunami of air, aircraft and, and stuff like that. And that's... And you're going to be like, okay, our plan is survival and and mitigating damage. If you're an offense, you're like, okay, we're putting together a plan. Are we going to meet our strategic objectives? And what is what is our team's goal within the larger broads? What's our tactical task that we have to do along the big strategy? Mm. And how do we help the strategy with our tactical actions? I would say just always remember that we play these games to see how the story plans out not to just mm-hmm. tell the story that's already written, right? Yeah. So the conflicts are there, the threats are there to set to give ourselves a starting point and a backdrop. Um, the real fun comes in where you just you find out you the the story tells the story tells itself as you play the game. Yeah. And then everybody can experience this new story. Like when we finished our aliens setting right i think more than one of you said hey this would have been a really awesome movie oh yeah totally yeah and it's like it was only loosely based off of what was in the box set i mean you know because you guys it's not like dan said it's not on rails if Mm -hmm. you want to play it on rails you know maybe play be something other than an rpg but uh, (laughs) an rpg is about getting into a, a scenario with people and then having a story evolve as we live our lives inside of this RPG. You know, that's what makes yeah. RPGs great to me. Yeah, yeah 100%. it's really that can- canon problem you have with most genres. It's like, are we going to do the canon of what George and what Gene Roddenberry told us we were supposed to do or Steven Spielberg or whatever the history book said? Mm-hmm. Or or are we in an alt-U where, where anything can happen? Um, I definitely flavor to taste, figure out what your, what your players like the best. And they'll tell you real fast if you just ask them. Do you guys think that um, it is easier to railroad your players in a military campaign than a run-of-the-mill RPG campaign? Or is it about the same? Is it different? Like, I mean, what do you, what, what do you think? If you're uh, trying to affect the outcome of the war... Then it, I'll say it might be easy to fall easier to fall into a trap of a railroad. Okay. Uh, as a GM, but um, but I think it's a, I think it's that's completely on the GM, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a trap for GMs to watch for. Yeah, if you've strung together a logical sequence that has to happen, if every domino has to hit a certain way. A domino is not a set of dominoes. You've just built railroad tracks, mm-hmm. right? And if the players start diverging from your dominoes and your story and they're getting off your tracks, then uh, you, you buckle up and roll with them um, and have it be a collaborative adventure, not a 
my way or the highway adventure. Yeah, yeah move the cheese, completely. man. Mm-hmm. I agree. Move with the cheese. Completely. And you've I got think, to surprise. Um, you've you got to surprise cool. them. Yeah, you got to you got to have surprises in there, like yeah. like any other RPG. Sorry, go ahead, Jason. I'm sorry. No, you hit it, man. And, uh, surprise them, but also as a GM member, you're a player, right? So allow yourself to be surprised, right? I mean, half the time that we play RPGs, I've got a couple. You know, well, I'll simplify it big time, like. You know, you're looking for the key in Legend of Zelda in the dungeon somewhere, right? And when you play an arcade game with that, like you've got to find that one place where that key is, or you're not, you're not progressing, right? Mm-hmm. In RPG, it's as the story unfolds. If you guys hang out, I've said this before. If you guys hang out in one area and you, and you have some really awesome role play, I'm going to pick the key up and I'm going to put it over there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm say, hey, you got, you guys told the story a little differently than I thought. And that's awesome. Let's roll with it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's because so it's about having, it's about having fun. Right. And it's about feeling like you're telling a story and you're progressing in that story. Uh, it's not about spending, you know, an hour and a half inside a casino just to find out it's a dead end. Right? <laughs> what Jason, what we had, uh, we had, uh, yeah, we had a, a star Wars, uh, uh, <laughs> You West had a good Marches time. Today. No, it was great. We had a Star Wars West Marches uh, mission and uh, a couple hours early because the players, we came up with our plan and it wasn't what the GM thought we should be doing. And it just kind of fizzled on itself. And everybody said, do over, let's all go home. <laughs> so <laughs> we spent the rest of the session like buffing out our gear. Going, what do you need to buy? What do you need to buy? Okay, let's modify the gear this way. So... We got something nice. out of it. It just wasn't wasn't what we all expected. Um, but yeah, got to to move the key to where where move yeah. the key help help the players feel like they're accomplishing something. That's way better than railroading them and to say, well, you didn't play my mission the way I thought I I envisioned you. I thought you would be so. It's, so there's the, a lot of Im- improv in this game. Yeah, totally. the uh, The last question that I have for you guys is do you think that there are RPG systems that are better than others to facilitate a military campaign, or are they all the same? It just depends on how you work it as a GM. Uh, There are better systems for it. Um, There are systems that explain what free resources you would be getting based on uh, your role in the military unit, and everybody may have different roles and they would get different uh, access to gear, access to um, the universe. You, you, the, the story would, a quartermaster and a buck private are not the same person, but they're in the same, you know, barracks eating the same food. Mm-hmm. They have different jobs and they have access to different, you know, adventures, different leverage points. So definitely a system that accounts for that stuff is going to be a, a, a more playable in the long term. If you're doing a, a, a maybe a, a limited campaign, a three episode arc or a six episode arc, that may not be exactly what you need. Um, any system that accommodates for like a lot of if thens, like in, in the military structure, Star Trek's really good at this. You know, you know who's in charge, you know who's going to be doing what, who gets up and another person sits down in a seat. What happens when a player keels over and you need somebody else to take? take control of the ship all that stuff is kind of ironed out 
and there's game mechanics for all that. So mm-hmm. the new Star Trek system right now, Star Trek Adventures has a system in which you pull in a non-player character at a specific time that has a specific skill set to help you solve a problem. You're like, oh crap, we need uh, we need somebody to come to the bridge who knows how to do comms because our comms person is down on the planet and dead. It's all baked and it's all done and you can do it quickly and you don't have to come up with, the GM doesn't have to make up as much stuff on the fly. Mm-hmm. So keep an eye out for stuff that, that has a good fit. They're, they're, they're less common than murder hobo systems, quite frankly. <laughs> Um, so uh, if you were to name so. one or two systems, what would you say, Dan? That, that come to mind right away. Um, that, that do that very well. Uh, yes. Well, well I'll, I'll tell you what I run. What I've run is Star Trek. I've ran it Klingon style, which is just kind of the grittier version of Starfleet, quite frankly. So it's mm-hmm. not, not that it's the same system. Uh, uh, there is, you know, Age of Rebellion under Star Wars has very clear roles for players when they join the unit of what their job is going to be and on your character sheet you have a duty component i'm sorry i use the word duty but you have a duty and everybody has a different duty and when you're doing your duty good things happen um and as you progress you can expand your role in the military that will grant you access to more resources to make the game more fun so if you get a certain amount of notoriety in you you get access to better ships and 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 fighter support and what you need to do bigger stories um so i like that a lot and it makes it easier i don't have to come up with the rules it's rules is written you just point up to the chapter and you're not just ruling by fiat so those are two that come to the the top of my head uh and dune is probably very good for that um i have dune as well haven't played it as much but it's very clear what everybody should be doing it's also hierarchical and there's a lot of not just physical warfare with sci-fi battles, but there's also social combat, which is fun too. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Jason? If you were to name a couple off the top of your head, what do you, can, does any come to mind for you? Yeah, so I think I'd like to clarify, when you say system, are you talking about a system mechanics or setting that is better for a military? Uh, an RPG system mechanics. Well, maybe mechanics. setting, I don't know. I don't maybe know if you answer you buy the question. A- <laughs> Something you buy off the shelf that gets you ready to go. Yeah. 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 Because I think that I think those are two separate things, right? Like five E five E there are adaptations in the fantasy side and the science fiction side and the modern D twenty side. Mm-hmm. But the five E mechanics is under the hood, right? You have attributes, yeah. you have skills, how you level those skills, how you use them with the attributes. Mm-hmm. That's the mechanics. Yeah. The setting that most people are familiar with is the Dungeons and Dragons 5e. Right, sure. Right. I would say most of the time a fantasy setting is less amenable to a military campaign. Okay. And that the science fiction system slash settings are more geared towards enabling a military campaign. Just because those, I feel like in the science fiction world, um, you seem to get a lot more of modern technology and evolution of governments and um, societies that have mm-hmm. built over you know generations and centuries and aeons to produce something that typically has provided a very structured hierarchy uh, mm-hmm. in there. Whereas in fantasy, 
while you you do have kingdoms and those kinds of things, I feel like it's really just mainly been built around the individual adventurer. Yeah. Or the the small adventure. So I from a I would say five E, I'm sure you could make it work, but if you're gonna go buy D and D five E stuff off the shelf, it's most likely gonna not you'd have, you're gonna have to do you're gonna have to do some investment in time to make that fall yeah. into a military setting. But if you go buy if you go buy um you know, even a uh, uh, well, aliens is a great and easy one if you wanted to drop in because it's built around you know colonial marines. It's built around you're in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there, I think things like uh, I think things like Android would fall into corporations and that hierarchy debate we talked about at the beginning. So you could still have that hierarchical structure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the lar- and you have the underlying war between the corporations, right. so maybe sure. it's not as much as like a war between militaries, but you still have that same feel that I think is supported in there. So I would say go for a science fiction one if you really want to try to dive into some sort of a military campaign. And I'm yeah, curious so, to see if Conan, Conan the Barbarian, would have fantasy plus warfare. I don't know. I'm not familiar enough with it that because mm. I know Conan was sometimes the king and sometimes, you know, there was, there were, there were army battles that took place. Yeah. Um, I'm just throwing that out there as a maybe. Yeah. Um, I think well, you're right. Fantasy is tough. Yeah. I, I, I think in general fantasy is tough. However, however, um, I think that there are some fantasy systems out there that are very much adapted to this. Uh, Zweihander, um, is mm-hmm. very much adapted to a military style campaign if you want to. Um, and with it, Blackbirds, which is kind of a, a different world within the Zweihander system, right? Like is, I mean, totally geared for warfare, like a, a military style campaign where you are kind of the special people that um, have been kind of co-opted by governments to like the, by the kingdoms to go out and, fight some battles right so um i think that i think that that system and that rule set definitely can lead towards that um but it's about how you said it up justin justin i know i know you got the big book and i'm sorry i'm just shaming well he got over his sniggles so we can oh yeah the the sniggles (laughs) exactly so um but yeah i mean i just think i think that there are some fantasy ones out there I would not, for example, say Shadow of the Demon Lord. I feel like that's just dark D and D, in a sense, right? With a different rule set, um, with a very unique rule set, and I think that that's very good. Um, Blades in the Dark is not normally adapted to a military style campaign. Um, I have not read this yet or played this, so you know, full disclosure there. But there is a supplement that's called um, Band of Blades that is uh, Blades in the Dark RPG system that is meant specifically for military campaigns mm. that you can play. So if you like the Blades in the Dark system, like that's an easy one. You can pick up that supplement for not too much money um, on Drive-Thru RPG, and all of a sudden you could be playing a an easy campaign in, for example, the setting of Game of Thrones, right? Because it's a low fantasy style um, world. You could be playing that in... Um, medieval England or France or something like that, where you could, you could adapt that very easily. And, and it's a, a very much oriented towards pure military campaign. So 
Um, that's a good resource if you're interested in that. And maybe that's one that you could look at and see how they do things mechanically and then adapt that to whatever RPG your party is comfortable doing. So, you know, leverage leverage the ideas that are there and maybe you don't use the dice roll mechanics, but maybe you take the same ideas that they have and, and adapt it to, to your campaign. So anyway, um, yeah, well, Jason, we went 45 minutes on this topic. More than more than you thought we would. <laughs> so I think it was a great topic. Um, I I like the idea of military campaigns, and um, I think you guys had some uh, great uh, ideas on how to effectively run it. Because I I can personally attest that I did. I don't know that I effectively ran one before, and I felt it. Right, I I felt it that it just didn't work out, and I was running it rules as written because I didn't really know how to try to incorporate a little bit better um given what it has what it was telling me but um i'm you know after having thought about this a lot more i see that there's a lot of opportunities to do a really fun military campaign especially if that's what your players are kind of clamoring for right so uh yeah yeah uh let us know uh if you listen to the show or watch it on youtube let us know what you guys think like do you have any ideas on uh, what we could be doing to improve our military campaigns and RPGs? Have you run one before that you thought was effective? What rule sets have you used um, that were that were good? So we'd love to hear from you. But in the meantime, thank you everybody for listening to the show or watching it on YouTube. We greatly appreciate all of the support that you guys give us and, and thank our Patreons out there for helping us out. We very much appreciate them as well. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, keep the dice rolling and have a great night. See ya. Take care.